Thank you, and once again, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust that you'll enjoy the broadcast you're about to hear, and if you are a first-time tuner in, we trust you'll stay with us now for about 26 or 27 minutes as we continue our studies in pneumatology, the Bible teaching about the Holy Spirit. We've been on this teaching now for a good uh, deal of time, and uh, next week we'll begin our study on the Scriptures, on the inspiration of the Bible, and the preservation of the Word of God, and the uh, doctrines of the Word of God that teach with the Word of God itself, the revelation of God. This week and next week we are concluding our studies in the Holy Spirit with further teachings about the Holy Spirit, emblems of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as a teacher, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Christian's life as lived in the Holy Spirit. As we've said before in previous broadcasts, these are very important lessons because of the very important place the Holy Spirit has given the Word of God. Any type of theology or type of teaching that doesn't lay a great deal of emphasis on the Holy Spirit is not very sound teaching. And because of this, many Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians these days have defected into the ecumenical movement of Satan because they've run to a group that constantly talks about the Holy Spirit. Having never heard a great deal about the Holy Spirit, these uh, dead Orthodox Baptists and dead Orthodox Methodists and dead Orthodox Presbyterians have been shocked and stunned by the unusual talk about the Holy Ghost, for a bunch of people who don't know more about the Holy Ghost than they do, and they've been trapped in the thinking because there's all this talk about the Holy Ghost that the truth is available, which of course it is not. The devil has a thousand ways to deceive. However, be that as it may, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead in the Word of God, and he is active in creation. Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, he was active in inspiration of the Bible. All scriptures give ministration of God. Holy men of God are speculated and moved by the Holy Ghost. He was active in the incarnation, the Holy Spirit giving birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of woman, born of the Virgin Mary. He was active not only in the incarnation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but active in his death when Christ offered himself up to the Spirit, a perfect sacrifice to God, and uh, through the eternal Spirit entered into heaven, offering up the blood of the sacrifice, and he was active in the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, and active in the regeneration of the individual, being born again of the Spirit of God. In view of the fact the Holy Spirit is an indwelling uh, resident who should be present in the vessel of the believer, he is the world's greatest teacher, the world's greatest door opener or politician, and at present is the world's greatest detective, being able to track down any criminal to his lair. The Holy Spirit, then, the third person of Godhead, is the official representative of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth uh, during Christ's uh, present uh, state in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, had four lives. He had a pre-incarnate existence when he existed before the foundation of the world with God the Father. He had an incarnate existence when he came upon this earth as a man. He will have a future existence when he comes back to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this present dispensation, he manifests himself on this earth by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit on this earth uh, in the heart and life and body of the born-again believer. Now we'll study a few further things about the Holy Spirit in this lesson, although we cannot possibly cover in eight or nine hours all the things the Bible says in the subject. First of all, let me call your attention to emblems of the Holy Spirit. Water is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Fire is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Wind is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Olive oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. Rain and dew pictures the Holy Spirit. A dove pictures the Holy Spirit. And a voice with, uh, pictures the Holy Spirit. And a seal pictures the Holy Spirit. 
Now, we'll take time out to discuss each one of these emblems or signs or figures and give the scriptures that deal with them. First of all, in John 3, 5, you are told, Baptist is born of the Spirit is spirit. John 3, 5. In John 7, verse 38, 39, we learn that the Holy Spirit is like rivers of water coming out of the inside of a man. Since the Holy Spirit is likened to water, and God never uses a similitude without uh, knowing what he's talking about, the Lord's similitudes are always exact and scientifically accurate, and there are no mistaken typologies in the Word of God. Since this is true, water has to be a fitting and appropriate type of the Holy Spirit, and it turns out to be in the following ways. Number one, water fertilizes. If you want to bring fruit from the ground, you water the ground. Water fertilizes. You get out in the Sahara Desert in West Texas and places like that, you'll find the vegetation is scarce. What's the problem? The rain is scarce. You pass through the Mojave Desert and go out through the Death Valley in California, and you'll see nothing growing on the ground at all but rocks and sand. What's the trouble? No water. Water fertilizes. The spirit-filled Christian is likened to a watered tree in Psalm 1, verse 3. And in Psalm 1, verse 3, we read the godly man is like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. That is, no water refreshes. In John 4, 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is tired and thirsty and asks for a drink of water. In Psalm 46, 4, in Isaiah 41, 17, we know that water refreshes. As a matter of fact, water is a thing that's needed more than anything else upon this earth outside of air. A man can subsist longer on this earth without food than he can water. Water is plainly refreshing, and the body needs water. The average uh, body needs every day a quart of plain, clear water, along with whatever else you may drink, milk, iced tea, or coffee. It needs at least a quart of water every day. Water refreshes. You go out to Los Angeles, California, you'll find when you go in the restaurant these days, they don't serve you a glass of water when they take the order. The water is not put on the table unless you give a special order and say specifically, I want water with my meal. The reason for this is that it has only rained twice in California, in Los Angeles at least. It has rained twice in Los Angeles in the last year. And like Hollywood and Disneyland, everything in California is artificial. It is all sustained by artificial means. It is the greatest source of artificial Christianity, artificial truth, artificial life, and artificial vegetation the world has ever seen. And what you do find growing around uh, the San Bernardino Valley and the San Fernando Valley is by irrigation, water pumped in from thousands of miles away sometimes and hundreds of miles many times from the Colorado River. As a consequence, when it doesn't rain in Los Angeles, people no longer can get drinking water. They'll be rationing it next year unless there's a change in the weather. Water is freely given, Isaiah 55, 1, and John 4, 14, Revelation 22, 17. The Bible tells us, Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. The Lord tells him in Isaiah 55, 1, to get water without price. Water is given freely, so the Holy Spirit is given to those that ask. The man asks for God to fill him with the Holy Spirit and save his soul and wash him the blood of Jesus Christ. The job is done upon request. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not an earned award, and the Bible perverts who try to make it conditional upon water baptism simply don't know what in the world they're talking about. The biggest fool in this world is an Acts 2.38 fool, and if you could count all the fools that have axed their spiritual head off and axed their souls into hell with Acts 2.38, you'd be a rich man. 
I'm as big as these poor fools trying to teach Bible who can't even read it. Think of that. Why, in Acts chapter 2, receiving the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon baptism with no laying on of hands. In Acts 8, receiving the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon laying on of hands, not baptism. In Acts 10, receiving the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon neither baptism nor laying on of hands. In Acts 10, although the man who has been saved speaks with tongues, the man in Acts chapter 16 and Acts 8 who has been saved doesn't. Now imagine a man using Acts 2.38 as a proof text to prove doctrine in a book that has five different ways of getting saved in it in a transitional period where nothing has been revealed for certain until Acts chapter 10 and isn't confirmed as biblical doctrine for the body of Christ until Acts 15. Now, that's what we're up against in America today. We're up against these blind guides, the blind, who think that receiving the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon Acts 2.38. You can go to hell quick on Acts 2.38 and any verse in the entire Bible. Number one, there's no blood atonement in Acts 2.38. Number two, there's no regeneration in Acts 2.38. Number three, there's no new birth in Acts 2.38. Number four, there's no Christians in Acts 2.38. Number five, all of them are Jews or Jewish proselytes in Acts 2.38. And number six, the gospel, the grace of God, has been revealed in Acts 2.38. And number seven in Acts 2.38, nobody's asking what to do to get saved. So how do you think you'd get saved fooling with Acts 2.38? Why, you couldn't unless you had a mental problem. The water of the Holy Spirit is given freely. Now, I'll grant you there's condi some condition laid down in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John haven't been written yet. And Paul hasn't been saved yet. And every man there is an Old Testament Jew under the law. You have to be careful where you start. Don't be stupid. Now, the Holy Spirit is given free. It's the promise of faith. Galatians chapter 3, 14 is given free upon request. Revelation 22, 17. Water is a fit emblem or type of the Holy Spirit because water cleanses. We read about the body of Christ being sanctified and washed by the Word and by the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 26. Paul said you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, when you get saved, and the Holy Spirit has set you apart for God's use. Water is abundant. In John 7, 37, we find that not only water, but rivers of water flowing. And the shortage of oil throughout the world today is indicative of the fact that the Holy Spirit has begun to cease his striving with men. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit, as we learn in our lesson today. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 45, verse 7. And we'll talk about that more when we get to it. Water is abundant. Now, not all water is drinking water. Much water, water is salt water. The Holy Spirit is water it performs two functions as a type of salt water, he cleanses and does away with impurities, and as a type of fresh water, he refreshes. That is in all in Matthew chapter 3.11. John said, The Lord shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist, for the Holy Ghost was shining, John 5.35, and fire burns and purifies and searches. The baptism of fire in Matthew 3.11, of course, is not the baptism of the Holy Ghost but it is a baptism of the sinner in hell and the baptism of the unsaved people the second advent. But the Holy Spirit, like fire, can purge and clean and purify and illuminate. One of the greatest pictures of the Holy Spirit as fire is found in the book of Exodus, where the fiery pillar leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, the picture of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Then in John chapter 3, verse 8, we read, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst thou tell from whence it cometh, or whither it goeth? so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
spoke plainly, wind is a type of the Holy Spirit, John 3, verse 8. Nobody needs to tell you that wind is powerful. Uh, anybody who's been in a hurricane or a tornado knows the power of wind. Tornadoes have been known to go by a house and take all the furniture out and the rugs off the floor and leave everything else in the house intact. Tornadoes have been known to take half of the house away and leave half of it standing. Tornadoes have been known to take people out of the house and leave them on the ground and take the whole house off and take it down the valley. I've been in homes where tornadoes have gone through in previous years and taken ranges and refrigerators through the front bay window and left the canary sitting in the window singing. You don't have to worry about selectivity when it comes to the Holy Spirit taking up the body of Christ at the rapture. All God has to do is create a vacuum between where you are and where he is, and this is what takes place inside a tornado. And out you go, my friend, and the refuse and the chaff will be left. Wind is powerful. Wind is reviving. In Ezekiel 37, verse 9 and 14, we read when Ezekiel told uh, <clears throat> the wind to come and breathe upon the slain, they breathed upon the slain, and life entered them, and they stood upon their feet, and became a great army. And in verse 14, the Lord God interprets this to Ezekiel. He says, His Spirit will enter His people. Wind is reviving, and it's the Holy Spirit that grants the new birth and quickens from the dead and brings the Christian back to life. And the same Holy Spirit will bring the dead body of the Christian up from the dead. For Paul says, If the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal body, God shall quicken your mortal body by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Wind is independent. John chapter 3, verse 8. He bloweth where he listeth. The Holy Spirit does what he wants to do. He's the third person of Godhead, and he obeys orders only from God. He doesn't obey your orders. The wind is invisible but effective. In John 3, 38, we read, You hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh, but whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Which simply means that the new birth itself cannot be located in a pinpoint uh, exactly. Now, one must be very careful in discussing these matters. Once you begin to say that nobody can know exactly when they're born again, you will get into this candlelight system where you repent, confess, beat, and be baptized, and act like a fool the rest of your life, and never know where you're going until you die, and after that you probably argue with it about it to the Lord. You don't get one of these places where you're like the reformers and the predestinarians and say, well, the Lord will quicken you sometime after you're catechized and sprinkling with the reformed church, but you don't know exactly when it is. That isn't true. The new birth is conditional upon you receiving Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, if all you do is repent, confess, believe, and get baptized, you go to hell like a bullet. The new birth is not conditional upon a repentance or a belief or a confession or a baptism. The new birth is conditional upon you receiving God's Son as your Savior. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, if all you do is get sprinkled and take catechism, don't you worry about the invisible work of the Holy Spirit quickening you at some time. He isn't going to fool with you anyway. But the point is, one cannot always tell the exact moment they received Jesus Christ as Savior. There have been people who received Christ as Savior in a revival meeting and came forward to confess Christ, and the preacher thought they were saved when they came forward. But they got saved under the hearing of the Word of God, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. There are people who came forward in order and came forward to live a new life and let Christ come in their life that didn't trust him for a blood atonement until two months after they came to the altar. You better listen to what I'm saying. I mean, along these lines, you better be quick to listen and slow to speak because you don't know the exact moment the new life is implanted. Well, the incorruptible seed is planted in the man's heart, and that man is born again with the Spirit of God. This is a spiritual work that takes place in the spirit realm, and no man could put his finger upon it. 
Somebody said, well, I know because I was there when it happened. Well, you know you were there when you felt the feeling you felt from having been born again. I'll grant you that. But when you go putting your finger on the second, the new birth took place when the incorruptible seed was planted. They're not correct. Ten Christians out of a hundred that could put their finger on it. And furthermore, you better be very careful about putting your finger on the emotional experience that took place because that change and that could have been you instead of the Holy Spirit and it could have been the devil instead of the Holy Spirit. You have to watch that stuff, man. All right, another picture of the Holy Spirit is oil. In Psalm 45, 7, when speaking of the anointing of Jesus Christ by God the Father, it says that God anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Oil consecrates like Exodus 29, 7, and Luke 4, 18. In the Old Testament, olive oil was used as a type of consecration, and as the Holy Spirit that consecrates a man to God. The Holy Spirit comforts in Isaiah 61, 3, where we read the oil of joy is given instead of mourning. Notice also Hebrews 1, verse 9. Oil illuminates. In Matthew 25, the foolish virgins without oil couldn't have any lamps that shine. Oil heals. In Luke 10, 34, the good Samaritan used oil to pour in the womb, picturing the Holy Spirit. Another good picture of the Holy Spirit is rain and dew. In Psalm 72, 6, we read, He shall come down like rain upon the moon grass. Rain is imperceptible like the growth of a plant. Rain is refreshing. Rain is abundant because it's water, and it fertilizes. Notice in particular Psalm 133.3, Psalm 68.9, Isaiah 18.4, and Psalm 72.6. Therefore, a lack of rain is a picture of a lack of the Holy Spirit being on a community. This means when a country like America turns its back on God, it's liable to have a drought. And since rain is a type of the Holy Spirit, it means that when God wants to withhold his mercy from a land, he withholds rain. Don't waste our time and bore us to tears all this talk about low-pressure areas and high-pressure areas and cold fronts and evaporation and condensation we got better sense. I've had a college education, but I got over it. If God doesn't send the rain, Sonny, you ain't going to do nothing. Having the red, the Lord cuts off the rain of this earth for three and a half years like you do in the tribulation, you and your family will starve, just like they do in India. You read it loud and clear? When any country goes into sex perversion before it's 13 years old like Africa, the rain doesn't come and, come and the wells dry up and the people starve and eat each other. When a country like India has a thousand gods they worship, don't you sit around wasting my time talking about all religions being the same and being tolerant. You have caused rain to cease not land. You've got blood in your hands, you heretic. You've got the depraved heretics that don't believe in winning people to Christ and don't believe in missionary endeavors trying to win the heathen to Christ. You're responsible for their death. God's judgment upon a land is no rain. Back in 33, when Roosevelt had Prohibition reappealed, one of the greatest dust bowl droughts that ever took place dried up the countries of West Kansas and Oklahoma and parts of Texas. Now there were those blasted ruined farms where the dust lay in, in piles like snowdrifts four and five feet high. Somebody found an old board sign stuck up out of a, the sand in the backyard of a barnyard, and it said, You gave us beer, now give us water. Oh, we voted beer in, son. We voted water out. And that's why inflation and taxes have doubled since 1933 and will double in the next 10 years. You don't live godless and bear good crops. 
You don't live the way America's living and expect a bullseye-footed plane and crowning thy good from brotherhood with brotherhood from sea to shining, shining sea. Don't expect it, and don't expect God bless America, land that I love, because he's not about to do it. God will cut off the rain. Type of the Holy Spirit. A dove is a type of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 3.16. The dove is very gentle. The Lord Jesus Christ said to have eyes like a dove. We read about the Christian being harmless as a dove in Matthew 10.16, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. James says the, the wisdom that is from above, that is from the Holy Spirit, is first pure, then peaceable. It's a gentle spirit, not an aggravating spirit. Not a not a, a maniacal spirit, not a spirit that causes you to fall to the mouth and roll the ground and gibber jabber like a blubbering idiot. A gentle spirit. That isn't all. The Holy Spirit is like a voice. Isaiah 68. This voice guides. Isaiah 30 verse 21. This voice bears witness in the believer that he saves. Matthew 10:20. And this voice can warn the believer of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16:7. Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it's not like an audible voice outside the ear, but like an inner voice. You discern the Spirit by discerning whether or not the inner voice witnesses to the testimony of the Scripture. If the inner witness in you is not bearing witness of the Scripture, that's a demon. For a demon didn't write the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Spirit wrote the Holy Scriptures. Like a holiness man said a holiness preacher one time, he said, uh, the Lord told me that your wife should leave you and come and play piano for me in this revival meeting. And the holiness preacher said, The Lord told me to get a cane and bust your skull in. One of these charismatic people said to me in South Carolina, The Lord led me to get rid of my jewelry. The Lord told me to get rid of my, gold, my golden wedding ring, so I took them off. Now my husband's mad at me. Tell me something. Where did the Holy Spirit ever tell you to take off your wedding ring? He said, Well, over in 1 Peter chapter 3, you didn't read it very well, did you? How about you reading that chapter next time instead of just looking at it? That verse didn't say a woman shouldn't wear gold or wear apparel. Why, if it said she shouldn't wear gold and wear apparel, she'd have to be a streaker, you fool. It said she's not to adorn herself. Now, you see how people are? I mean, nobody is more anti-Holy Ghost and more anti-spiritual than these people who talk so much about the Holy Ghost. And they would defy God and spit in his face where God says something because they don't believe what he said. They're going by an inner voice, and the inner voice they're going by is a spirit that is against the Word of God. It's a demon. The Holy Spirit is like a seal. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where we're told you're sealed to the day of redemption. A seal authenticates. John 6, 27. It marks or brands the Christian. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. And a seal secures whatever document it seals. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. The seal is a down payment which secures the transaction showing the Christian is God's until he hits the judgment seat of Jesus Christ in eternity. The Christian life, therefore, is lived in the Holy Spirit. We worship God in the Spirit, John 4.24, we worship God in the Spirit and in truth, Philippians 3.3. 3. We can only understand the Bible through the Holy Spirit who wrote it. John understood in the Spirit, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But the Spirit revealeth all things, gave the deep things of God. The Christian life is lived in the Spirit. Paul said he was bound in the Spirit in Acts 20, verse 22 to 24. With such a close union, he said to be a bond slave with the Holy Spirit. Being in the Spirit is proof the Spirit is in us, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And being in the Spirit is never an ecstatic conglomeration of a smorgasbord magpie's nest of yelling, hollering, and screaming, and flooding your eyes, and foaming at the mouth. That isn't the Spirit. The Christian is in the Spirit, Romans 8, 9. He lives in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 25. He walks in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 25. His service in the Spirit, Acts 6, 3. He prays in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. Being in the Spirit doesn't have any reference to a thing like in Revelation chapter 4, where John is suddenly transformed out of his body into a spiritual condition. That is in the state of the Christian in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Romans. The born-again believer is in the Spirit all the time. For he's in Christ, he's in God, and God is a Spirit. His head is in heaven, he is joined to Christ. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. He is part of Christ's bone and body and flesh, Ephesians 5. For by one Spirit is every child of God baptized into one body. Christians live in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 25. His life is so closely joined to the Lord Jesus. Christians walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 25. The Spirit guides the way that we take, and we're not to walk by sight, but by faith. Our Christian service should be rendered in the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. When we pray, our praying ought to be in the Spirit. That will be led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, according to what the Holy Spirit wrote, according to what the Holy Spirit said in the book. And without a knowledge of that book, there's no way to pray in the Spirit, or serve God in the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit, or anything else. The Holy Spirit who wants us to live after the Spirit, not after the flesh, who wants us to obey Jesus Christ and God, who is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth, has written instructions in the book of God how we're to serve Him acceptably, and these instructions are to be obeyed. And by that I don't mean perverting Acts 2.38 that has no more to do with you than it does with Mickey Mouse. And by that I don't mean trying to mess up a Christian in Acts 2.38 and make him think it has anything to do with a believer and has no more to do with a believer than with a baboon. I'm talking about right dividing the word of truth and obeying God and the scriptures that God gave you in the verses that he wrote, what he meant, what he said, and said what he meant in the context in which they appear aimed at the people they are to apply to. We pray in the Spirit, that is, He guides us in the great exercise of prayer. All right, now we talked here a little bit about the Holy Spirit. On our final lesson next week, we will discuss the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as a teacher and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. These final three subjects in our study of pneumatology, the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit as a teacher to guide lead us into all truth. We hope you'll join us in next week's broadcast over the same station at the same time. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.